0: I can't wait to hear from you. The Living Church. Catholic. Evangelical. Ecumenical. It is still ordinary time, Living Church Podcast listeners, the season after Pentecost, and of course it will be for quite a long time, the season in which we are reflecting on and living out the implications of the resurrection and the coming of the Holy Spirit. Now, several weeks ago, I talked with Wes Hill and Ephraim Radner about Pentecost and failure. Where is the Holy Spirit when we, well, when we bomb as Christians, frankly? It's a really interesting conversation, and you can find that in our show archives. Today, we're talking about the Holy Spirit and money. What hath Pentecost to do with Wall Street? Or for that matter, what do the drudgery and stress of balancing checkbooks, checking spreadsheets, making financial decisions in your parish, diocese, or at home have to do with the Holy Spirit's creative enlivening presence? Now, as Christians, we often do have an idea of how our personal finances are, or at least should be, guided by prudence, simplicity, justice. Dave Ramsey, got it. But how do our economic lives as human beings, even on a national or international level, relate to the revelation of Jesus Christ, or to the life and vocation God has given to the church? Is it even possible to have such a vision, or really, is it possible to do anything about it? you know, just small things that we like to chat about here at The Living Church. We've got a conversation today with guests who bring two different and very unique perspectives to the table to help us get a theological vision for God's purpose for our common life together and how economics and the Christian life might intersect. Our first guest is Dr. Daniela Augustine. Daniela is currently Reader in World Christianity and Pentecostal Studies at the University of Birmingham in the UK with a previous background in economics. Her focus is in ethics and public theology and engaging Eastern Orthodox theology in conversation with Pentecostal theology, especially in liturgy, theosis, and the event of Pentecost as a paradigm for social transformation. Her latest book is The Spirit and the Common Good, Shared Flourishing in the Image of God. We'll include a link to that in the show notes. Our second guest today is the Reverend Dr. Nathan McClellan. Nathan worked as an economist in the New Zealand Treasury for over six years before a hunger for theological education led him to a PhD in Christian ethics. He is currently CEO and teaching fellow at Venn Foundation, an education institution helping Christians explore the depths and riches of the Christian tradition for the good of their homes, workplaces, churches, and communities in New Zealand. He is passionate about helping others deepen their integration of faith and life, especially in the areas of economics, business, and leadership. The conversation is moderated by Dr. Dallas Jingles. Dallas is the site director of the Houston Galveston Extension Program of Perkins School of Theology at Southern Methodist University, where he also teaches courses in moral theology, systematic theology, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and bioethics. His current work includes a co-edited volume on the future of Christian realism, and he just preached in our parish church on Sunday, so he is also a lay preacher. As you can hear, we have got three really interesting people on the job today, so I am going to let them take us on in. We hope you enjoy the conversation.
1: So I first met Daniela uh, over a decade ago at the Society for Pentecostal Studies. So um, I started attending SPS in, I think it was like 2007, maybe maybe just a bit before that. And um, sometime shortly thereafter, she became the interest group leader for the ethics section of the Society for Pentecostal Studies and have known her mostly in that situ- uh, like that forum for, like I said, over a decade at this point. Nathan and I were uh, in the mezzanine section of Bridwell Library at SMU, which is a a dark, uh, what, low-ceilinged sort of area where we spent multiple years only, what, three doors down from each other, I think? Yeah, and And, and the daily coffee walk. And roughly twice a day, we left at the same time to walk over to either the coffee shop at the very top end of campus and, like, stroll and talk uh, theology and ethics or just across the building to drink the cheaper and less taste, uh, tasty coffee. Um, so we get to know each other and spent, what, two or three years doing roughly that. So our families are friends, and and uh, it's still, like, almost a daily sort of regret for me that Nathan is now in New Zealand instead of, you know, three doors down. You can always move over Dallas. <laughs> Daniela, Nathan, thank you for being here today. It's a real pleasure to be with you.
2: Alice, it's a pleasure indeed. So good
1: to be here. So I want to begin with a kind of a broad question. So since our conversation assumes that there's some relationship between Pentecost and economics, I'd like to think through that a bit. So I think that the assumption arises in part from the way that a lot of people read Acts 2. So the outpouring of the Spirit brings about a form of life in which the text says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds as all to all as any had need. So would you each give a brief overview of your own understanding of the Holy Spirit, of economics, and of the relationship between the two? Or if you like, what hath Wall Street to do with the upper room? So Daniela, let's start with you.
3: Again, thank you uh, for this opportunity to ponder the connection between economics and Pentecost. Uh, For me, uh, that's uh, an issue of personal interest, as you know, because uh, my education started as an economist. I have a bachelor's and master's in social economics and consequently transitioned to theology. And it is a way to redeem part of my education. prior to entering entering the sphere of theology. But um, also, as you know from my work, I draw heavily inspiration from Eastern Orthodoxy and my Eastern Orthodox roots, growing up Eastern Orthodox in Bulgaria. And uh, consequently, encountering the uh, ethos of the Pentecostal communities, first of all, the underground Pentecostal communities under communism, and literally being raptured by uh, their life of faithfulness under uh, much persecution. So... Coming from that standpoint of view, that inspiration from Eastern Orthodoxy, I believe that Pentecostal and Eastern Orthodox theology have in common that understanding of Pentecost as the eschatological telos of the entire cosmos. Uh, As Vladimir Lossky says, the Pentecost is not just a continuation of the Incarnation, it is its goal, it is its telos. The Word became flesh so that the Holy Spirit may come. So, in this sense, uh, Pentecost is viewed as the destiny of all creation. From the beginning, humanity is created as a charismatic creature. It's created as this union of matter and spirit. And it is not accidental because of course, the prototype and telos of humanity, of the first Adam is the last Adam, the spirit bearer, the charismatic Christ. And uh, in light of that, the entire human life, in in fact, all of, of life is epicletic including economics, including production, consumption, uh, redistribution of uh, um, wealth. Everything is supposed to be a charismatic event. It's supposed to be epicletic in nature. It's supposed to be united by the spirit. And let me just mention one more thing in addition to that uh, already big and cosmic and grand vision of Pentecost. In the Eastern tradition, Pentecost is not celebrated just as the birthday of the Christian Church. It is viewed as a theophanic event and it is the high feast of the Trinity, of the Holy Trinity, because indeed it reveals the communal body of the Son doing the will of the Father in the power of the Spirit. And as such it has to be a communal event. It is not just the upper room all together in one place in unity. Um, it is not accidental because it is supposed to be a theophonic event or an iconography of the proto community of the trinity and that to depict again iconographically the very future of the world of all of humanity of all of creation so from that standpoint of view the uh, the, the separation between economics and uh, the spirit is a pathology that is an outcome of the fall.
2: Like Daniela, I have an interest in that partly because I began life as an economist, uh, trained as an economist, uh, bachelor's and master's degree in economics and finance, and then worked as a public servant uh, before becoming an economic consultant. So my own vocational journey is one in which I've tried to think well about uh, being an economist, and well about economic life as a Christian, and that eventually led into into theological study. And at the level of, is there a connection between the Spirit and economic life, I want to say absolutely yes. Um, we, we know uh, that after his resurrection, Christ ascended to heaven and received the gift of the Spirit from the Father and then poured that out on the disciples. This moment is uh, a significant moment uh, in the Christian faith where, in many ways, it's a reversal of Babel, where you see uh, people speaking in different tongues, but now there is a unity in the diversity of those languages. I think it's a moment of new creation where, as Daniela has suggested, the future breaks back into the past. And this obviously has a bearing on how this community begins to live. I think when it comes um, to thinking about the relationship, though, between Pentecost, the spirit, and economic life, there's, there's much that we need to attend to in terms of the detail. And I think as some of this um, gets unpacked, it will be good to explore that. For example, um, I'd love to pick up the conversation around whether economics is something that is a reality post because I I would suggest it's actually something that we need to attend to because of the limits that God has woven into the very created order. So there's some very interesting things to think about here to tease out when we come to this to this topic. One of the reasons I became quite passionate about this at a new level is because a lot of what I saw. Being written by a theologian and ethicist, I I felt I needed to engage with because, from the perspective of someone who had trained as an economist, I found it very difficult to understand. And so, I see my work here as a kind of work of reconciliation. So part of today I hope is we'll be able to talk about different ways that economists um, have thought about faith, but also different ways in which. uh, theologians and ethicists have thought about economic life, because I think that there really is the devil in the detail here.
1: So Daniela, one thing that runs throughout your book, The Spirit and the Common Good, Shared Flourishing in the Image of God, has to do with how we see the world. You contrast a kind of consumeristic vision with a Eucharistic vision. How does the way that we see the world, say Eucharistically, inform how we act in the world? Specifically, how does this way of seeing inform our economic practices?
3: Yes, this is a very big question. (laughs) So I will try um, to be as uh, brief and make it uh, as accessible as I can in our limited time. Um, As you can imagine, again, a lot of Eastern Orthodox uh, influence is coming here, particularly since one one of my fields of expertise is Alexander Schmemann and uh, the Schmemannian <laughs> vision of uh, liturgical <laughs> theology. And of course, he's uh, perhaps the father of liturgical theology, as we know it uh, today, um, in, especially in Eastern Orthodoxy. And uh, he sees uh, precisely the fall of humanity as retreat from and loss of that particular vision of the world, uh, the the recognition and the discernment of the world as an Eucharistic sacrament. In other words, um, the fall results from a um, misplacement of that vision and from resignation, um, Adam and Eve's resignation, of their priestly vocation. Over the uh, household of God. And here, going back to economics, as uh, Nathan's uh, um, provocative question there is economics something that came from after the fall? I would argue not, because the management of the household is delegated to Adam and Eve before the fall, right? And all of creation, Eden, starting with Eden, is the um, household that they have to learn the household of God. So oikonomia is part of God's oikos, right? Of God's home Um, and uh, the stewardship of that home and the stewardship of creation. So, of course, uh, here the argument that uh, uh, Adam and Eve understood life unfolding around them as uh, a liturgy as an act of worship. They participated in that liturgy as in the form of call and response, almost, and uh, uh, witnessed the process of bringing it forth uh, and its unfolding as something that is to be stewarded and shared, cultivating humanity as new Eucharistic being the understanding that the world is made to be shared reverently with a sense of reverent consumption, that that demands fasting from oneself so that the others may flourish and that the goal of both production and consumption and redistribution of wealth is the securing of the flourishing of all of God's creatures. The world is created to be given and received with gratitude precisely as a means of communion and that for me that uh, cultivation of an Eucharistic ethos, Eucharistic spirit, an Eucharistic understanding and vision of the world is part of the work of the spirit, the sanctifying work of the spirit or christoforming forming work of the spirit in humanity, restoring our vision to see creation as co-communicant in that Eucharistic feast. Uh, To see the other and the different from us, both entropic and non anthropic other, as a co-communicant. And uh, to recommit to practices of uh, reverent consumption, of fasting, of differentiation and discerning between our needs, and our self-indulging desires of committing to fast from our self-indulging desires so that others can meet their uh, needs. And of course, this has to prime and transform um, economic life and economic practices to the very core and uh, translating that into actual practices, Obviously, we have to practice economics and commit to supporting the practice of economics that is consistent with ecological economics, not simply neoclassical economics, right? Um, And uh, this may involve uh, commitment to um, circular economies that demand sustainable agriculture, uh, recycling, but also acute awareness of uh, social justice, fair trade, and everything else that comes to mind, and uh, translating that ethos, that eucharistic ethos in contemporary, in the contemporary West, which uh, doesn't have roots in that Eastern Orthodox <laughs> <laughs> priming for um, the recognition of the world as sacrament is a very difficult task and I believe it is a task of love and a faithfulness to our Christian calling.
0: Tomorrow, July sixteenth, is the last day to register for our pilgrimage to Rome. We would love for you to join us. January fourteenth through seventeenth, twenty twenty-two, are the dates of the trip, and it's hosted by Nashota House Seminary and the Living Church Institute. This pilgrimage to Rome will include a course on the history and development of Anglican ecclesiology and ecumenism. We will share in the daily office and mass, join events related to the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity tour the Colosseum, the Sistine Chapel, the Vatican Museums, and St. Peter's Basilica with a world-renowned art historian, and take an optional day trip to Assisi. Learn all about the trip or sign up. Just visit nashoda.edu forward slash Rome or click the link in the show notes today. Again, registration ends tomorrow, Friday, July 16th.
1: So Nathan, I know that you're concerned with the way you mentioned this earlier, that Christian critiques of economics, sometimes these critiques collapse a number of distinct concepts, practices, Mm -hmm. etc., right? Mm -hmm. For instance, um, collapsing personal finance uh, and national or global economics. So, uh, relatedly, you're a bit concerned about how these Christian critiques can dismiss crucial insights from the discipline of economics, Would you say just a bit about that, and briefly explain how you think Christians should think about the discipline of Mm, economics? mm. I I might just come back to a bit bit of a theological frame,
2: building on what Danielle has done, because I think that will will help to to understand my my perspective on this a little bit more. Um, I, I, I think I think we have been given this task as humans as priestly rulers to cultivating care for the garden such that it becomes a garden city. I think that's what we we see in the scriptures at both bookends. We see a garden and then we see a garden city. And humans are given this task by God to cultivate the garden, to to guard it and to care for it such that it flourishes, that as Daniela has suggested, that all uh, have a way of participating in that. And Economic life is is central to that. What we produce, how we consume, how we exchange, how we distribute goods and services, that is core, I think, to this particular vocation that that humans have been given. So if you just very practically, if you think about a business, what a business does is it takes human creativity, innovation, it mixes that with uh capital. Uh, Mixes it with the good gifts of the earth, and we're actually able to produce things such that human beings can flourish, such that communities can flourish. And in that sense, economics plays a very important part in contributing to to the public good or the common good. Economics is helpful for us because this discipline takes very seriously the fact that humans face particular types of limits as created beings. And the way that uh, economists will talk about this is in terms of scarcity. Now, what they mean by scarcity is not that there's not enough to go around. Actually, we when we look at the world, we see God has created a world which is a gift, and it's a world in which all human creatures and indeed the whole cosmos can flourish. But there are particular limitations that we face, and we have to allocate these gifts these resources that we have towards some ends and not to others this is what economists mean by scarcity and so the discipline of economics is one which is very focused on that task how do we think about allocating the limited resources that we have towards various ends in order that the political community might flourish in order that the the human community might flourish and you have to take um, seriously the fact that we face these limits in that, t- in that task. That task, if we were to frame it biblically, theologically, this task to be priestly rulers. One of the things that I think economics can bring to this conversation is a perspective on how we do that well, and particularly how we think about efficiency here. This is what the discipline of economics helps us to focus on when allocating the different resources, the different gifts that we have, how do we put them to some ends and not to others? So make this very practical. The discipline can speak to us around how much of a public budget might we allocate to, say, education or to health, and what are the trade-offs that are, um, that are involved there. Now, of course, economics as a discipline needs to be put in conversation with other disciplines, not least ethics and particularly Christian ethics. Because the discipline of economics itself doesn't say much at all around what the common good looks like. But what it can help us to do is to think through how we allocate the gifts, the resources that we have towards that particular vision of human flourishing. If I might just sort of add a little bit here, this is why for me, if we think about the Eucharist as a as a particular practice, I think we need to we need to come at that from the perspective of it being an ecclesial practice. So the fact that in the Eucharist, um, this is a sacrament of unity when we're, where we're united with Christ and with one another, that gives us a perspective on what does it look like for us as Christians and as a Christian community, the church, to contribute to the common good, both in loving our brothers and sisters, but also our neighbors. But I would be somewhat hesitant in taking that ecclesial practice and using it as a metaphor to think about economic life more generally in terms of the world, because I think that would make it that would be to to blur the boundary for me between the church and the world. Baptism is the entrance into the church community. The Eucharist uh, strengthens, acknowledges our unity with Christ and one another, and that has a particular bearing on how we think about economic life within that community. But I think to move out to the world more generally, I, th- I think I want to be a bit more careful about doing that because I think that practice um, is an ecclesial practice. It's an ecclesial practice that helps us as a church community to contribute to the common good, but may not be a good metaphor for thinking about economic life more generally as a political community. I want to reach for other ways to think about that as a Christian ethicist.
1: Well, as it turns out, this is the next question that I'm going to ask, and I think probably can generate some good conversation between the two of you, right? Like uh, because the uh, let me see if I'm if I can reset the conversation at least where we are right now. Um, it seems to me that Daniela is arguing that the, uh, especially from kind of an Eastern Orthodox perspective, that the Eucharist gives us a vision of our entire life. Um, From the point that the spirit hovers over the water all the way through our sort of uh, quotidian practices, right? Nathan shares uh, quite a bit of the theological um, background, like the confessional background there, but is going to see economics as um, much more about the means for pursuing this rather than uh, as a grounding for seeing the world this way, right? That the Eucharist, um, the Eucharist is an ecclesial practice that unites us with Christ, but it's, it's not something that's going to have quite the same uh, uh, purchase when laid over a whole vision of the cosmos. Um, is that a fair description of your respective positions to this point?
3: Um, I would have to differentiate between something. I differentiate between the Eucharist as an ecclesial practice, and having a an new heuristic vision and understanding of the world, right? Um, and I really uh, agree with all that Nathan said, by the way. Um, and uh, uh, of course, uh, it is uh, the classical practice. We can think of some of its positive effects in cultivating that vision of the world. A new holistic vision of the world, but of course it doesn't translate one on one into economic practices. It has to be, it has to be uh, informed and impacted and transformed, and it still will uh, question to what extent, to what extent, and who can succumb to these particular economic practices informed by the Eucharist. Obviously, we hope that the Eucharistic community will, that uh, they will commit to economic practices that bring about the flourishing of creation. But we also understand that they participate in a much broader and bigger economy that is not (laughs) consecrated and sanctified, right? So these are two um, different things there. But um, let me, going back to this uh, issue, you know, to, to, to what extent it is, and to your question, to what extent it is applicable to the world, and where is then the boundary between the secular and the sacred? Um, I have argued that the Eucharist detoxifies us uh, from the malformations of the secular liturgies of consumerism. That are uh, prompting us to the, devour all others, anthropic uh, and non anthropic al- others, for uh, accomplishing our own needs. And I stand behind this uh, claim the importance of the Eucharist as a pedagogical practice and formation and Christian formation as well. But uh, at the same time, wherever genuine concern for the common good is found um, that truly prioritizes the well-being and flourishing of others. That is the work of the spirit. That The spirit continues to work and prime the world, um, including in in the secular, for drawing it, dragging it towards its uh, theotic destiny. But at the same time, we have even to the end, uh, so to speak, uh, this is symbolically the book of Revelation, right? (laughs) Um, Which is a book of martyrdom also, as we know. Uh, We have this contrast between Babel the Great and the City of God and their economic practices. And they're irreconcilably contrasted with one another. And yes, Babel splend- splendor is uh, something that eventually engulfs the entire world. But then you have the city of God with entirely different economics foundations um, in which again, we see the hospitality of God, the generosity of God, the concern for the other, inclusion and access to life, which we see in Pentecost and the economics of the Pentecostal community in the book of Acts, coming forth as the end,
1: the end form of economic life. Nathan, similarly, what do you think about sort of the relationship between, say, Christian economic practices and mm. non-Christian mm. or secular? Mm. How should we position ourselves as Christians within those?
2: So I think the the church, um, as the people of God empowered by the Spirit, do do have an economic ethic that might differ from the wider political community depending on the extent to which the kingdom of God has come to bear uh, in that community. So I think we we started off in the book of Acts, uh, the end of Acts 2, and we talked about these verses from 44 to 45. It seems to be the case that the church, empowered by God's spirit, lives in a particular way. Here, they take care of those in need by the way that they use their possessions and property. Um, so in, in in the ecclesial community, it seems that we do have a set of economic practices um, that we're called to, to care for our brothers and sisters in need. And of course, as Daniela has suggested, that's going to overflow into how Christians live their lives in the world, how they give to their neighbour, how they support particular causes, the types of businesses that they, they run. Um, etc etc there is a different vision i think for christians of the talos of of um of life and because of that it has a bearing on how we we use our resources no doubt no doubt about that so christians scattered through the world the church scattered through the world they are going to be embody a different uh, economic ethic a different way of of living life that has economic implications but the church is One institution and Christians are one uh, one group of people within the wider political community. So this, for me, then comes back to what are the other things that we're drawing on and contributing to the common good? And I notice in our discussion, for example, up until now, we haven't really talked about policy and institutions. So this is where we need to get to talking about things like markets, property, um, tax regimes, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. And and I'm not sure that um, Christian theology can offer much there. We actually have to draw on other disciplines, and this is where I want to uh, draw on the discipline of economics. And here for me, I would see Catholic social thought and Anglican social thought, for that matter, as a bit of a model. Um, it's clear when you turn to that as a body of thought, they draw on different theological and e- ethical normative concepts. For example, subsidiarity or solidarity, but that then that then is put in conversation with the discipline of economics, thinking about institutions and policies, in order that as those two disciplines come together, we might think about what causes societies to flourish, what makes them more uh, just, what makes them more loving, uh, what what makes them um, societies in which individual humans and communities within those societies that they
1: can flourish. Let me end by asking one final question um, that is slightly different than than what we've been after here, but to try and make it as practical as possible for the listeners. So let's imagine that people listening are are good everyday Christians wanting to love God, love their neighbor, people who are preparing as ministers for Sunday and, and thinking about running a church and having meetings with different committee members and vestries and running budgets, this sort of stuff. So I know that uh, from previous conversations and work that we've done that Nathan has an interest in the concept of wonder, especially as it relates to the wisdom literature. And Daniela in her book quotes uh, Gregory Nyssa, uh, concepts of God create idols, only wonder can grasp anything. So with this in mind. Anyone who has ever worried about paying credit card bills or used a spreadsheet will know that dealing with money is seldom wondrous. As people are listening to this and they're thinking through sort of these grand concepts like the Eucharist, Eucharistic vision, and these granular concepts like allocation of scarce resources to particular ends, what do you think, like What what sort of final word do you have to offer them about like how the spirit, how pneumatology, how Pentecost provides perhaps a framework for thinking economically? um, uh, Something that that could you explain why you (laughs) what relationship does wonder have to do with Excel spreadsheets?
3: Well, that was, again, a very big question, (laughs) and uh, it's very hard to respond to it uh, briefly. But, um, of course, Gregory of Nyssa, whom I'm quoting, that's uh, a promotion of the apophatic theological approach. (laughs) There is no question about it. And uh, it is an apophatism guards against idolatry and also nurtures intellectual humility. So as we are dealing with Excel spreadsheets and with the drama of the mundane and balancing checkbooks and uh, dreading uh, the uh, paying credit card bills, there is also a possibility for creating idols of them, of money, of economics, of letting them, uh, of redirecting our worship, by letting it occupy and preoccupy most of our life, um, by, uh, letting steal, sabotage, uh, by letting it steal Sabbath uh, rest, by letting it deplete our energies or creative energies, um, or uh, humanity <laughs> that demands uh, making space for others, because uh, work uh, can be While we are created for creative work, at the same time, work can be enslavement. And uh, to use a little bit of Marxist idea here can bring an alienation between us and the fruit of our labors at So wonder is essential to pull us away, to give us a proper perspective. Of all of that, to redirect uh, our affections, once again, to redirect our worship in the right place. Um, and it is uh, essential to save our souls, so to speak, in the midst of the grinder of the mundane. It cultivates... Gratitude, it cultivates precisely that eucharistic spirit that helps us to re-envision the world and the smallest of economic tasks in our uh, everyday mundane tracks. And it um, incubates in us precisely that spaciousness of the spirit that allows to make space for all others, anthropic and non anthropic others. Um, to help us to make our economic life a home for God.
2: Wonder is what enables us to, as Daniela has already suggested, keep God at the centre of our lives. That's the first commandment, really, to have no other gods um, before me, to place God at the centre of our lives. So wonder as to who God is, wonder as to what this good world is like that God has made it enables us, I think, or helps us to keep God at the center of of our lives, and we need the the Holy Spirit, I think, to continue to be at work in us to sanctify our loves and our longings to open our eyes that we might see the beauty and the wonder of the world to do this, and I think that then does have a bearing uh very practically on on our and our everyday economic practices so let me just speak to two types of people to try and keep it concrete imagine you're a business person um you are called to this amazing task to be a, a priest ruler and the way you go about doing that is by producing goods and services for your community and by providing meaningful employment. So when you come to your spreadsheet, I think you've always got to have that that vision singing in your heart and that vision in your mind of a world in which human creatures are flourishing. And what you do with your spreadsheets actually has a bearing on that very practically in the way you provide meaningful employment and the way you produce goods and services so that your, your community is flourishing. Let me just take another example. I I think it's good for us as Christians regularly to ask ourselves: Who are the brothers and sisters that are, God has placed around me who are in need, and how can I actually put my resources um, to serve the needs that they have? And then, who are my neighbors, and where are the needs in my community, and how can I give in a way um, that does that? And we there's no there's no formula there. There's no written rule. That's the work of the Spirit in our lives uh, before God. And the work of our spirit, the spirit, in our lives before each other, as we have those conversations as christians um so i think I think the spirit does do this work of very practically in our day to day living um help us to to contribute to the common good and wonder I think is important in that because it keeps uh, it keeps God as the one who is at the center of all things. We've touched on revelation a little bit today, that's the vision we're given in Forum five. The whole, the whole cosmos, round the throne of God, uh, every living creature on heaven and earth worshipping God. And, of course, one of the things that uh, those creatures do is they bring the wealth of the nations um, to, to the Lamb, uh, to the Spirit, to the Father, who are on the throne. And so very practically what we do with our spreadsheets, how we give, um, is all contri-
1: contribution to, to that vision. So I want to thank you, uh, Daniela, and Nathan. Thank you so much again for an excellent, rich, uh, enjoyable conversation. Thank you, thank you,
2: Alice. Thank you very much for having us. And thank you, Daniela, for the conversation. Thank you, Nathan, as well.
3: Great conversation indeed.
0: Thanks for tuning in to the Living Church Podcast. In two weeks, watch for my interview with film producer Mary Beth Minnis on movie-making, storytelling, and seeing God at work in that fascinating world. If you subscribe to our podcast, you can be absolutely sure that you don't miss an episode. And if you're enjoying this podcast, please share it with a friend or neighbor or coworker, what have you. And while you're at it, you know what? You can also help keep this show going by giving to The Living Church. Just go to livingchurch.org forward slash donate or click the link in the show notes today. As always, I'm Amber Noel, your host, and it has been good to be with you. Peace.